and welcome to Word Up, a series of podcasts hosted by Oxford University Press with Helen Prince and guests. In this podcast, we like to start with a bit of etymology to give us the story behind words. And we're going to hear the word idiom talked about. Now, this noun was first seen in the 1580s, meaning a form of speech peculiar to a group of people. The Latin idioma meant a peculiarity in language. The Greek form idios meant something that is personal or private or particular to oneself. And it's this Greek form which gives us the prefix idio that gives us the words like idiolect, idiosyncratic, idiomatic, and of course, idiocy. This morning, I am really excited to welcome to the podcast Sophie Bartlett. Sophie is a year five, six primary teacher. She's the English and curriculum lead for her school. She's over 27,000 followers on Twitter, which gives her quite a lot of clout in the world of social media. And how cool is this? She came up with the hashtag teach like a champion. Bit of a play on teach like a champion, teach like a champion. We love that. We're going to have to hear a bit about that, Sophie. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi, Night. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so pleased that you can be with us because you're a busy girl. You're busy planning a wedding. Yeah, we're trying for the third time. We are supposed to get married last year. That third time lucky. Fingers crossed. Third time lucky. Yes. It's going to be sunny and birds are going to sing. Absolutely. On our wedding date last year, it poured with rain. So maybe it was a good thing we didn't get married last year. Oh, really? There you <laughs> yeah. go. The gods are shining down. Meant to be. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So we just talked about Teach Like a Champion. Just tell us a bit about that to kick us off. Yeah, I think from being on, on Twitter for so long, you sort of, I found that it was really helpful but it also made me really anxious about teaching because I felt like everyone was always posting their best stuff and it made me feel like well I don't teach geography like that or I don't do art lessons like that and it just made me panic so I thought I'm just gonna start tweeting some of the silly things that happen or the embarrassing things or the things that go wrong yeah and that actually got a bit more traction in yeah. social media than than the pop you know the really good lessons and then one of my friends suggested why don't we give it the hashtag teach like a champion we were trying to find one and then people just started joining in and it was a really good way of just a bit of rea- a dose of reality, really. I mean, mm. everyone has rubbish lessons and rubbish days. And it's nice to know that other people are experiencing the same things as you. And it just, it feels like a big old staff room on Twitter sometimes. You know, when you've all had a rubbish day and you go in and you moan to each other. And it was just yeah. a little bit of light relief, basically. How <laughs> oh, brilliant. That's such a great idea. I love the phrase champion as well. It just really <laughs> works, doesn't it? Because we all have those moments. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember when I first started teaching, somebody said to me, if you want to take the credit for the good lessons, got to take the credit for the bad. So we've all, we've all got a bit of champion (laughs) in us at times. Oh yeah. Brilliant. So looking back on your own experiences at school when you were little, what were they like? And was that formative for you in terms of you wanting to then go on and teach? My mum's a primary school teacher. She actually retired last year. So she taught me in year six for primary school. Oh, so I know. You've been taught by your mum. Yes. We're in the same club there. Oh, really? Yeah, especially when they call you by your nickname. Oh, well, exactly. And I always used to try and get away with things. But if anything, she was much meaner to me than any other child to try and prove that she (laughs) wasn't. Yeah, that rings true. Yeah. Playing (laughs) favourites. But I absolutely loved school. It was a bit of a nerd. I loved it. I had great friends there. I just enjoyed it. And I think probably, you know, my mum had a lot to do with that. She never really swayed me to be a teacher, even though she loved teaching. She sort of kept it very unbiased. So I made my own decision. But I think my experiences of my teachers at school, particularly primary school, because I remember Mm. them so clearly, definitely was a deciding factor when I came to choose what I wanted to do. 
That's so good. Mm. Should we give a shout out? Who should we give a shout out to? Which is the teacher that you think? Uh, well, I've got two A-level music teachers called Mrs. Dunsmore and Miss, well, she was Miss Singer when I was there, but she's since got married, which Miss Singer is great for a music teacher name, isn't it? A great music teacher name. It is brilliant. And they're both, they're both invited to our wedding, actually, because they taught my fiance as well. Oh. And then I had a lovely teacher called Miss Englefield in year five. And I used to keep in contact with her a little bit. But yeah, a great teacher. You'll always, always remember them, won't you? You so. always remember your great teachers absolutely in my head <laughs> oh that's awesome and you've now been teaching seven years is that right yes yes my seventh yeah. you've been in a, a really big primary and then a much smaller primary and I'm just thinking actually in those earlier years in your career they're so critical you know the right opportunities the right nurture and support can really make or break a career in teaching and I'm, I think it was in April a government briefing paper came out on the teacher recruitment retention saying that actually in England almost 22 percent of NQTs from 2017 were not recorded as working two years later yeah that's crazy isn't it yeah wow. 20 nearly 22 percent yeah and I wondered you know what's your take on that because you're in the earlier stages of that mm, yeah and what's what what can we do about that and does that ring true with you and your friends I have found Twitter to be a huge huge help because it's something that if I had a bad, I mean, obviously you need to get the confidence to be able to tweet yourself. I know when you first mm. start, it's so easy to lurk and just look at other tweets and then it feels quite brave to put something out there yourself. Lurk's a great word. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> Love to be a good lurker on Twitter. <laughs> but it's just great to know that you're not alone. And I think it was so valuable as an NQT to go on and either say, I took a rubbish lesson today and to know that other people are in the same position or does anyone have any ideas for this or yeah. just something and again like I said before it was just like a big staff room so that was a big help but also having the right colleagues around you I mean my first school where I was an NQT was so supportive and I could just go to my mentor or any teacher really my head teacher even with anything that I was worried about or upset about and talk about it and they were really understanding I think a lot of people that don't like the job anymore, it's quite often because they're not in the right school. It so depends on the SLT and the colleagues that surround you. Yeah. So I've just been so lucky. Both schools I've been in, I've had absolutely wonderful people to work with. But I know sometimes management's different and people can really struggle with that. So yeah, that, that definitely the, just surrounding yourself with good people. It also helped that at the time I was living with my mum when I started teaching, who was also a teacher. So I could go home and then we could debrief about my whole day yeah. and she would know all the you know vernacular. I didn't have to explain anything because she just was in it. So she knew. So that did definitely help as well. I wonder how many of those relationships there are in the country. Yeah. Of, you know, mum and daughter or son and father in there chatting away about their school days both having taught lessons yeah exactly I don't know but that definitely was a help for me so you're now with a year five six mixed class aren't you yeah tell us a bit about that because I remember a colleague once telling me that the first thing you do as a primary head if you've got mixed classes you do everything you can to move to single year groups how have you found it so I came from a school that was single years and they would stream for maths as well and I've come to a tiny school four classes in the whole school mixed year five and six and the first this is my third year at this school mm. and the first year I really really struggled because well it was almost like four times the abilities really going from yeah. streaming year six to then mixed year five and six and it was really really difficult but I, I found it much harder in maths English was more achievable because you know year five and six you can give them a similar task and it's sort of mm. differentiation by outcome some of them will do a much better job than others mm. and in maths the first two years were really difficult and we've now this year actually split the year groups in maths mm. so we have two small it was very hard to timetable but we think the benefits are massive so we've got two single year maths lessons now 
but that's there's still mixability and there's still a huge range in just that one year group even though it's a slightly smaller group yeah and I do personally think I've now really sort of bought into the mixability thing I think it's it's massive before I came to the school I thought actually it's not worth the planning workload because it mm. takes so long to cater for that many abilities but now I can see the the hugely positive impact it has on all of the abilities of children and yeah I, I wouldn't go back now so it took me a while to get there but love it now and wouldn't change it so that's really interesting and what are the implications for vocabulary when you're teaching a mixed class like that is it easier in some subjects than others in terms of maths for example we're both doing both groups are doing fractions at the moment and so the vocabulary we've explicitly taught them are obviously numerator denominator we looked at obelus as in the division symbol unit fraction non-unit fraction and because the year fives had missed quite a lot and so the year sixes because of lockdown we were both learning the same terminology and so we had a maths display up with the terminology we were both discussing and the definitions so in that particular case that was fine and even with English like when I was teaching single group year group year five in my previous school I always teach to a really high expectation anyway so having five and six together I just teach towards the top end of year six yeah and um just scaffold from below so I'm still still using really high level vocabulary and just hoping that the year fives get there and they do and so when they are ready for year six the new year fives that come in there's usually such a big gap between them because those year fives have been taught basically as a year six class almost and then the year fours come in and it's like oh got to bring them up to the year six standard now so yeah I always think of it as a bit like a jigsaw that you're giving more or less pieces of the jigsaw depending on who you've got in front of you yeah to help them frame and scaffold their thoughts and yeah that's good about and thinking And what about SATs in all of that then? I mean, obviously we've got a slightly different time of life right now with SATs, but how affected is it when you're looking at SATs? Do you separate them out when when you've gone into that sort of preparation period? So I've actually only done one SAT session at this school because last year and this year we haven't had any. Mm. I found um, in that one year that we did it, it was quite useful. We never did too many SATs practice papers anyway because I'm personally just quite against that. So we would do just teach the curriculum obviously try and get it in before May which was a challenge because when we had year five and six together for maths we tried to get as much as we could in before May yeah (laughs) which was hard but then in the run-ups to stats when we just wanted to do test prep as in when it says tick one box tick one box that kind of thing Mm. we just had the year fives join in because they needed it next year anyway and they quite liked the feeling of oh we're doing year six stuff yeah so we just did it all together and then when the year fives come to do it the next year they've already got an idea of what it's going to be like so it's not brand new to them so really we kind of just treated them as one class yeah well I think that that's a very useful way of looking at it you know and you're right when we're grouping pupils we need to look carefully at how we're doing it because actually it really helps to have some of those high flyers Mm. you know disseminating ideas and catalysts for creative thinking and when you're thinking about vocabulary within SATs is that sort of another layer of vocab in your teaching and I mean, I've come across lots of idiom, for example, in SATs. They seem to throw a lot of idiom in there. Is that that something that you're really focused on in particular? Yeah, I'd say when we've analysed data before on the reading papers, vocabulary and inference are always the weakest areas in any cohort in both schools. It's always vocabulary and inference that come up. So I try and do an explicit vocabulary session now once a week in my reading sessions. So at the moment, in book talk sessions, we're reading Kick by Mitch Johnson. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so... For the week ahead, on a, fr- on a Friday, I'll do a vocabulary session to pre-teach the vocab that I want them to focus on in the coming week. Yeah. So we'll look at maybe the etymology of the words, we'll put the words in a sentence, we'll draw a picture, that kind of thing. And then when, when we read the following week, if the children come across the word, they shout out bingo and we discuss what we'd learned the previous week. And so 
we try and do as much of that as possible just because well there's so many words out there but the more that we do it the more children can learn different techniques of understanding a new word you know reading around the word or using what they know of the story or checking the glossary sometimes it's as simple as that (laughs) and attaching image you know during a picture is a great idea because I think that really helps concrete an idea in your in your head. Yeah. You talked a little bit about reading lessons there. And I know that you are a fan of whole class reading. Yeah. As opposed to that sort of traditional guided reading carousel, which I think a lot of us have moved away from now. Mm. What do your whole class reading lessons look like? So I've changed quite a lot, really, because we can't repeat planning year on year because we've mixed years. So I can only repeat every two years. So Sometimes I'll pick up planning from two years ago and then think, oh, I've changed so much even since then. (laughs) So at the moment we do a mixture. So everyone has a copy of the text or one between two anyway. And we've managed to raise raise money in different ways to be able to do that. So it's always really great for the children to be able to see what they're reading and have the whole book in front of them. Mm. I try and do one text per half term. Obviously it's tricky because with year five, six, the texts are usually longer. But there are some great examples, like Skellig's a really nice length or Clockwork, which I'm recently, which is a fantastic text to use. Yeah. And then the general pattern would be, we'll recap what we've read the day before, because at the end of each lesson, we do a, a sentence summary. And I've got these massive post-it notes from Tiger or I know Sainsbury's do them. And as a class, we create a summary of what we've read that day, put it on this big post-it note and then put it up on the board so we can kind of track what we've read so far in the book. So we'll summarise what we've read, look at the vocab for that session. So something that I pre-taught the previous week and this is what we're going to look out for this session. Then we'll read the text. It will either be me reading to them or I've sat them mixability partners so the children will read to each other and they know to correct each other and help each other with expression. And then the children will complete a task or answer some questions. So we've tried a mixture of things. It'll either be a standard question answer sort of thing or Emma Stanley on Twitter has done some brilliant activities that I've kind of borrowed ideas from. So something called backwards questions. So you'll give an answer and the children have got to come up with what question could we have asked to come up with that answer. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Or something like, can you draw a picture using the description on this page and label it with quotes? You know, some sort of comprehension activity. And then the children will end with a sentence summary or can you write your own questions for a partner? And then once a week, we'll do something called echo reading as well. So I attended the Hearts for Learning fluency project training last year. And it talked a lot about echo reading and how it really helps children's comprehension. So yeah, we we do that once a week and the children really like that. So that's good fun. So for those of us not familiar with echo reading, just tell us what that is. Yeah, sorry. So it's when, um, for example, I'll take a short a paragraph on the text. You can do it with longer excerpts. Yeah. But I will model how to read it. And sometimes I'll time how long it will take me to read it. So it might be 37 seconds. Yeah. And I'll read this paragraph and I'll model really good expression and fluency. And sometimes we'll get the children to text mark. They know how to do that now, but obviously I've spent time teaching them that. Mm. So I'll mark where I pause or where I raise my tone or um, where I get faster, all that sort of thing. So once I've read it all in one go, I'll then read a sentence at the time and the children will echo it back to me using the exact same expression brilliant and then they'll do performance reading with their partners so they have to practice reading that paragraph they've heard it from me twice and the children this is just my own twist on it but the children will mark each other out of 10 so they start with 10 marks and each time they make any error they take a mark off and, and then we share and we can see who gets the most marks that sort of thing <laughs> what a great idea and it's almost sort of turning it into a music score isn't it yeah that's a good way of and thinking it. about the sounds yeah that you're making you know as an additional layer to the actual content that's really interesting yeah your idea about you know starting with the answer reminds me of those follow me cards have you ever used those they're really good. yes yeah like in, um, good. you know if you're revising a bit of Shakespeare or something and you've got the answer on the top of your card and then at the bottom there's a question and each kid has a card and you have to 
we used to time that as well mm. last time we did it in two minutes 40 <laughs> see if we can beat yeah. it yeah no I remember I've done that before yeah they're good they're good fun aren't they I love your post-it notes I love a big post-it note oh yeah and any big stationery <laughs> yeah and there's something reassuring about that kind of transitory nature of writing that you can move around and it's mm. pliable and you know it's not too precious yeah so it's you know it's it's that idea of capturing talk and writing in a in a really low stakes way like that so that leads me nicely into music because you're a bit of a music girl too aren't you yeah I do love I used to be in a choir um love that when I used to live in Reading's in a choir there and um yeah I play piano as well so unfortunately our current school doesn't have a piano but as you can imagine when I was a trainee any school would try and rope me in and do you know assembly walking in or any plays or anything so yeah I love my music oh I hope somebody donates a piano someone who's listening to this podcast yes please (laughs) that (laughs) That would be be great great. get in touch with Sophie she needs a piano she needs a piano yeah (laughs) but you're you're running something with the children aren't you young voices yeah so um we had a young voice concert this year but obviously it's been postponed because of uh, the pandemic mm. but we do an after school club once a week and when young voices is coming I'll do a choir with the children so we'll practice the songs for young voices and they just oh, I love it it's one of my favorite events in the school year and we practice yeah we practice the songs in choir it's great fun and they do dances as well uh, if no one's been before it's a whole to do it's brilliant <laughs> brilliant and there's something about the movement attached to the song that helps I suppose it's that kinesthetic learning, isn't it? Just helps mm. your lyrics embed and helps, you know, when, when you're thinking, which, which word is it next? You sort of know if you've got an action that goes with it. It just helps, doesn't it? It sort of reminds me of my old school did talk for writing in lower down in the school and they did a lot of actions with the pictures to remember stories. So really similar. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think music has a role to play in teaching us vocabulary and moving our young people's voices on you know in terms of their expression as well as their music yeah I think so I mean even just in terms of making them more confident to kind of share their ideas or I just see children come to choir that are quite shy you know the children in class that you, you think oh, at the end of the day I don't know if I spoke to them today because they kind of slip under the radar and then yeah they come to choir and you'll see them singing confidently and doing the dances with their friends and um you just get to see a different side of them and then get to know them a bit better. So you're in English lessons and you think, you know, I've seen seen how confident and seen your personality a little bit more. And so can that come out in your writing a little bit? Or I don't know, it's just lovely to explore a non-academic side with the children, really, and see how that can support them in other areas. Yeah, really helpful, isn't it? And that whole, the whole child. Mm. And I think in primary, you really, you really have a lovely window into that that we don't necessarily have in secondary. We're, we're quite compartmentalised, aren't we, you know? I'm teaching English, I'm teaching PE, I'm teaching geography. Yeah. Whereas you see the whole child and have that lovely relationship. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I, I know very recently Ofsted have come out with these reports of, I don't know if you've seen them, how outstanding schools have performed in history or geography or science and, and tips for us all. And mm. kind of on Twitter, people are discussing, oh, you really need to be an expert in history, an expert in geography to teach this in primary. And who does all of these really well and then it sort of led to a lot of debate about should there be separate teachers in primary for different subjects because we can't all have degrees in all these different subjects and then people are saying well actually no in primary school we should be all about the relationship with the children and developing the whole child and you know if we're not great at geography we can teach ourselves but ultimately it's it's about getting the children ready for that stage at secondary school we don't need to take secondary school style learning into primary school interesting debate isn't it yeah 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 I agree I think there's that there's that tension isn't there between wanting to be everything for that young person to bring them you know into that place of learning so they're ready to learn and they've got all of those skills that they need yeah but then absolutely you know you can't be 
a graduate at every <laughs> every, no. every subject. You know, hats off to all those colleagues in primary schools because you're having to be a really high level in every area. Yeah, I've had to teach myself so many things before, like Anglo-Saxon Vikings, not a clue. <laughs> so I had to spend a couple of days researching it before I even taught it. And then when the children ask you questions on the spot, you just have to go, I just don't know. We'll just have to look it up together yeah. because I don't know everything. <laughs> yeah, but that's lovely in itself, isn't it? So that they know that. Yeah, definitely. Lifelong learning. As long as we're a lesson ahead, we're all right. <laughs> <laughs> just about. <laughs> so a few quick fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. What's your best CPD? I would say, oh my goodness, probably this last year I've been on maths mastery training with the NCETM and our little BBO hub. And it's been, it's been really great. It sort of transformed how I teach maths. So I think we've, I'm on my sixth session soon and yeah, I just feel so much more confident, so much happier with how I'm doing maths. And I've seen a lot of success, particularly with the SEN children in my class. So yeah, definitely that. Brilliant. Top tip there. Thanks, Sophie. Okay, and you've worked in a big primary and a small one. So what's your top tip for colleagues working in small primaries? To rely on each other. <laughs> you sort of do a little bit of everything. And there's so much, usually in small schools, so much experience with everyone. Everyone understands what it's like to work in a small school because it's such a tight-knit community. And so you just got to be best friends with the cleaner and the receptionist and just rely on each other to help you out. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great lesson for life, isn't it? Mm. We all need each other especially in our job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. What's the best way to end the school day? I love reading. To the ch- I mean, I love reading myself at the end of uh, normal days, at the end of a school day. It's nice to end that off with the children reading as well. Before COVID, we would get all the cushions out, sit on the carpet and just relax and sort of decompress. And then they were all calm yeah. to go home. So yeah, definitely sharing a good book. Nice. Before the mad bus time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you got a favourite word? I love the word mellifluous just because I think it's mellifluous itself in a way and it sounds nice and it looks really nice written down. <laughs> Beautiful word. Fills your mouth, doesn't it? Like serendipitous. Yeah. It's one of those mouth-filling words. That was my <laughs> second option, actually. So great minds. And that in itself is serendipitous. Exactly. <laughs> Have you got a best or worst teacher joke? Oh my goodness. I would say I don't have one, but I'm really bad or good at puns. I make puns all the time. One, yeah. someone in my class used to do the budumch on the table every time I made one. <laughs> Helpful colleagues. <laughs> I would just say all, all my jokes are bad, to be honest. And I, I like making puns with the kids all the time. So there we go. <laughs> it's good fun to play with words, isn't it? And have a little yeah. bit of a joke. Absolutely. To finish us off, Sophie, because we know you're getting married very soon yeah. and you're very good at music and know lots of things about music. So I wondered what was your top tip for the first dance song? Well, it's funny you should say that. We were trying to choose one yesterday and even I was Googling lots of things. How do I choose a song? Both <laughs> my fiance and I are really musical. So we wanted something that was special to us. So anything that was going to leave you with a good lasting memory, or it's nice if you've already got a good memory of that song anyway, and something that you can obviously dance to because there are so many that we love. And we just thought, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to dance to this. So yeah, something with a good memory that you can dance to. <laughs> awesome. Top tips there from you, Sophie. Thank you. Sophie, it's been a delight to chat to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, and you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Nice to see you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Word Up podcast from Oxford Education. To receive bonus material relevant to the discussion, please visit www.oup.com slash education slash podcasts.